0: Love, talk Radio.
3: The following is a post time with Mike and Mike. Production.
1: Beckham C Jam down by the seaside. Beckham C
5: Jam wins the breeder's crown. It's rock and run. Mick Wicked on the inside.
3: McWicked to win the Jim York Memorial. Fear the Dragon fights on. Down by the seaside on the outside. Fear the Dragon down by the seaside. Down by the seaside. And Brian Sears gets up to do it. Keystone velocity getting closer. Mel Mar looking for the line. Keystone Velocity. Keystone velocity takes it at the there he is. All bets off. Keystone Velocity. Keystone Velocity. And Dan Dubay to win the Potomac Pace. This guy's the Energizer Bunny. And they head for the wire. Fire your guns. Here he comes. Foiled again. He keeps going. And going. And going. And going. And going. And going. You are tuned in to the O official, um, official, podcast of the sport of harness racing, post-time, with Mike and Mike, with co-hosts Mike Carter, and
4: it's bus 936, and bus 936 on the wings of an
3: angel, and Mike Bozich outside Heaven Rocks with the clocks running out, filibuster Hanover wins the Commodore Ferry, going
0: and going!
3: Welcome to yet another edition of First Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bud America. Mike Bosich, along with Mike Carter, who is live in Lexington, Kentucky, covering the Lexington Selected Sale for the Harness Racing Fan Zone, as well as post-time with Mike and Mike. We welcome to all of our listeners, and we certainly appreciate you joining us. And, Mike, this uh, is your first sale. We're coming up on day three of the Lexington Selected Sale. And, Mike, so far, the numbers have been really, really strong in terms of a new phrase that I like to use. Consumer confidence.
4: <laughs> you know, it's really been interesting. Uh, on night one, we thought we had seen the uh, sales copper, Mike. And then last night, uh, we got six horses in, and whoa, a $400,000 uh, sale came up. And then a hundred horses later, Mike, a hundred, we got our next $410,000 horse. It was unbelievable, uh, some of the things we saw last
3: night. Let me ask you this from – uh this is your first sale as, as we've talked about. Um, and obviously and we've talked with some of the experts in the past. We've talked to some of the horsemen in the past about what exactly they look for when it comes to spending this kind of money on these horses. And let's be clear. Uh, a lot of it's a gamble, right? I mean a lot of it's just simply a roll of the dice, but there are some things that particular horsemen look for. And then you throw that with some of the emotions that an auction, you know, it can can bring. I mean, certainly an auction is an emotional thing because here you're bidding actively against other people. What kind of emotion uh, did you have you seen in the room the first two days?
4: Not a whole lot, actually. Um, you know, you, you you see people, you know, um, just kind of nodding their head when they want to make a bid or whatever. These guys who collect the bids, like they do a phenomenal job. Um, I I wouldn't be able to tell you, um, who is bidding and when in most situations, because, you know, you're sitting there and you you think when you're at an auction, you see paddles and stuff going up in the air, kind of like, you know, you see in the movies and stuff. It's nothing like that at the sale.
3: Do you see any emotion when, uh, horsemen get the horse that they want?
4: Not a whole lot. No. Um, You know, I haven't seen it any much so far. Uh, You know, who's to say over the next couple of days uh, that the sale continues, we won't see more emotions from it?
3: Sure. One of the things, uh, and and we've got a great show on tap for you today, and we're going to set it up in just a moment. But one of the things that I want people as they're listening through this show, uh, to this show, I want people to think about something that I thought about on the drive in this morning. Uh, You know, you re, and, and I would say that it's safe to say, Mike, that as we've gone through the years in these sales, that the sales in, in uh, not so much year to year, but in general, sales have been stronger in terms of, you know, horsemen buying and money spent and all that. And it got me to thinking, Mike, and, and and we're gonna I'm gonna ask this to Kurt Becker. I'm gonna ask this to Joe Feraldo, Nancy Johansson, and I'm gonna start by asking you because you're I feel that you're one of the young guns in the sport of harness racing that you know is going to potentially lead this sport going forward do you believe that the sales numbers that we see do you believe that these are any indicators of the health of the sport of harness racing
4: yes and no but at the same time mike you got to look at how how many horses are bred each and every year um i think that's an important number to look at but you know the the fact that they were up 10% means uh something you know it is something good um but you also got to remember the purses are higher um giving them a little bit more money a little bit more access to money um so so it's been interesting to kind of see how some of these guys um have played hardball with each other um over the past couple of days and kind of you know sit weighed in the options of, okay, do we want to go to a hundred thousand? Do we want to go to 125? Um, it's definitely been interesting. That's for sure. And the two leading divisions, Mike, so far, which has been a surprise to me are currently the trotting Phillies and the pacing Colts.
3: That's interesting. I mean, we've seen some good, I'll tell you what, the trotting Philly division is noticeably better in general than what it's been like, say, go back 10, 15 years, in my opinion. Um, but I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, because we thought, like like I said, I used those two words uh, right when we kicked off the show, you know, consumer confidence. I mean, you would have to think that there is some confidence amongst horsemen that plunk a lot of money that you see these three, four $400,000 sales. You would have to think that there is confidence amongst horsemen that the game is somewhat healthy. And I guess when we talk about the health of the game, Mike, in all reality nowadays, we're talking about the health of the slots at racetracks program is what we're talking about. What is their, what is the longevity? And you have to think that at least the horsemen feel that there is going to be some kind of longevity or else they wouldn't be spending the money Isn't that safe to say? I I would say that. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we've got a great show on tap for you today. Kurt Becker, one of the voices of the Lexington Selected Sale, is going to be joining us, going to be interested to see his take on what has unfolded the first two days. Plus, Nancy Johansson will be joining us. Joe Feraldo will be joining us as well is Mike. We are going to be broadcasting a week from Saturday from the International Trop. That has been added to our live remote schedule. And the uh, Jessica Mike is going to be thrusted in that co-host role. She did such a great job at Hoosier Park, and uh, we'll see what happens once again. But she, is, uh, she did really, really good in that role earlier for us, didn't she?
4: Oh, yeah. She did a fantastic job. And, you know, I know some have questioned – Whether or not she is ready, Mike, she's more than ready to lead or help us lead our show. And I am so thankful that she uh, does such a great job for us.
3: Gassers. Yeah, so, so uh, she's going to be joining us for the International Travel Left we'll Time uh, coming up on Saturday. Time is TBA as far as what time we're going to be on the air. Post time is actually 1 o'clock, so uh, stick around for that. But Joe Ferraldo is going to be joining us towards the top of the hour. So a big show here on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. Plenty of Lexington Selected Sale Talk. Kurt Becker will be joining us after this timeout. You've got Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by America. Winback Farms yearlings are born to compete and raised to win. Be sure to check out our lineup to take advantage of opportunities in slot and rich states. Our yearlings are eligible in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Ontario, and Pennsylvania. Our 2018 sale schedule kicks off in Goshen on September 9th, followed by Lexington October 2nd through the 6th, London October 13th to the 14th, Harrisburg November 5th to the 7th, and the Harrisburg Mix Sale on November 8th. For more information, visit winbackfarm.com. That's Winback. Farm.com. Over the past 25 years, Hoosier Park has revolutionized harness racing across
5: the nation. The action returns Friday, March 30th, with racing every Tuesday through Saturday, starting at 6.30 p.m. Join the revolution at Hoosier Park Racing and continue. Visit
3: Hoosierpark.com for more information. Come on out to Yonkers Raceway on Saturday, October 13th as the best trotters in the world clash in a $1 billion International Trot. The first 4,000 Empire Club members to visit a promotions booth will receive a free International Trot hat. There will also be food and drink specials which will include beers from around the world. There will be live entertainment as the famous New Jersey Nerds Band will be performing on the track apron. Post time is 1 p.m. It's the 40th edition of the International Trot, Saturday, October 13th at Yonkers Raceway. Hashtag International 18. Welcome back. I'm Post Ever Mike and Mike, presented by our good friends at Bed America. Mike Posich, along with Mike Carter. And right now, we're joined by one of the voices of the Lexington Selected Sale, the voice of uh, Keeneland Racetrack, and also the uh, voice of a lot of car races that you hear. It's the one and only Kurt Becker joining us. Kurt, how are you, buddy? Hey,
6: guys. Everything's good. good. Uh, beautiful day here in central Kentucky. It's good to be on the show with you.
3: Now, Kurt, we talked a little bit uh, before the break and this is one of the things that I thought about while driving in and I figured that you were probably the best person to ask this question to because you've been around both Thoroughbreds and Harness both sides of the spectrum both sa- both sales for a number of years can we is there any um, as far as an indicator goes of the health of Harness Racing can we use these strong sale numbers to, to grade or to judge the health of harness racing
6: you, you know i think it, it certainly doesn't hurt and i believe it's uh it's valid to take a look at the strength of the market uh not just here this week but uh you know even i think back here a couple of weeks ago uh the the same folks from lexington selected had a, a sale up in ohio uh that was that was pretty strong as well and yeah, i i think it is a a, a positive sign you know there. Uh, The stock market doesn't hurt, especially when you look at the first two nights and you look at the folks who bid at the top end of the market. Uh, I think when the stock market is strong, uh, that certainly is encouraging for them to be a little more aggressive with their bidding. But but, uh, before I came on, I heard you guys talking about uh, the the states that have a strong slots program, and I, I don't think there's any doubt that things are so good in those particular states anyway that uh it does give people some reason to go out and and perhaps be more aggressive than they might have been in
4: the past now kurt obviously a lot of things go into doing what you do as an announcer at the sale what kind of pre kind of uh, i don't want to say pre-race but pre-race prep work uh do you do leading up to the sale
6: well you you know it it involves a, a couple of things uh one is i will sit down and I like to go on to Pathway, uh, the U.S. Trotting Association online service, and I will pull up uh, year-to-date statistics and life-to-date statistics for the various sires that are represented in each night's session, and I will type up a list and print it uh, that I will keep on the auction stand for myself uh, and for the the other two announcers, my dad, Carl, and uh, our good friend, Ed Teefee. I will also try to get online and check the yearling videos out, you know, I, I, more and more I believe that post-horsemen will start by looking at the individual, and then, you know, that will get them to their short list, and then they will go check the pedigree against that. And, and I think that if, if one has looked at the videos of these horses, these yearlings, the way they move in the paddock on the farm, sometimes I will pick up on things, uh, you know, light on her feet or nice long striding colt that once in a while – I like to throw in from the stand. And and the other thing is uh, pronunciation. Uh, you know, the other announcers and I were talking about this at the start of the week. As silly as it might sound, sometimes you see names of prominent horses, especially two-year-olds that are new on the scene this year, that, yeah, you read the names in the magazines, you read the names online, but if you don't live in that particular part of the country where those two-year-olds have been excelling, or if you haven't heard a race call, Uh, sometimes you can get caught off guard by pronunciation of a horse that might have an unusual name, and there's nothing more embarrassing (laughs) than when a consigner sends up an update that says, please announce the two-year-old has won the New York Sires final or the Pennsylvania Sires championship since the catalog. And you're looking and you're saying, oh, my goodness, I've seen this name in print, but I'm the only guy in the house that doesn't know how to pronounce it. And so you know, that, that could go to the heart of an announcer's credibility pretty fast. So uh, th- those are some of the angles we try to get all the bases covered before sale time.
3: Visiting with one of the voices of the Lexington Selected Sale, Kurt Becker. Now, Kurt, obviously we talked about the numbers. The numbers are very strong both on day one and day two. Um what And I know that horsemen look at pedigree, and obviously that has to be a big, big factor, if not uh, the biggest factor in terms of how much you want to spend on a horse. But there are some other things, too, like confirmation, uh, family lineage. I know that a lot of uh, you know horsemen like to stick with one particular family or have had success with a particular family, and they kind of like to stay with that. But what are some of the things that you think besides that maybe – that uh, horsemen bid on when they decide to plunk down a good chunk of change on some of these unproven horses.
6: I, and that's that's the thing. I, it, that's what fascinates me. These are unproven commodities. We all know that racehorses are not necessary to life. Uh, it really is entertainment. It really is pursuing a dream. Uh, I think that you know, sale companies would be the first to admit. That's that's what we do. We are selling blue sky. We are selling hopes and dreams. I I don't think there's any question that the appearance of the individual horse is huge. I remember many many years ago, the late Hall of Famer Phil Tully, who had the Garden State Sales Company in New Jersey, one of the first things he taught me back in the 1980s was a good-looking horse will always outsell its pedigree. So if you've got a horse that's pleasing to the eye, you know, well-balanced, nice slope to the shoulder, uh, a well-defined hip, that kind of thing, stands correctly, uh, pasterns are the proper length, all this kind of stuff. Then you throw in the pedigree, that's just dynamite. I, I think that one area, guys, where uh, buyers will penalize a yearling with regard to the, the, the pedigree page, I, I think of a situation last night that came up. You know, you take a horse like Muscle Hill. He's obviously a, a very popular sire. He's just a phenomenal horse, and tends to sire a fantastic-looking yearling. Well, there there was a Muscle Hill colt last night that went through the ring for sixty thousand, and that kind of caught my attention because you know so many of the Muscle Hills are a hundred thousand and up. But in that particular case, the first dam had two prior foals, both by Muscle Hill. One was unraced, and the other had won maybe $6,000, and that's, that's one thing where the super sire effect can also work against a yearling because if the mother has been bred to that horse before and the first foal or two has not set the world on fire, you can get a bargain. And, and I felt like that colt for, for 60000 fell through the cracks because he looked fantastic. I mean on looks alone, he was worth every bit of that.
4: Now, Kurt, obviously through the two days of the sale, has there been any surprises uh, to you over the past couple of days, or does everything seem pretty formful?
6: I, I think it's it's surprising that the sale has been as strong as it is. Uh, it's not surprising that it's strong. It's not surprising that the market's healthy. But you know, after last year's record-setting sale, as the saying goes, what do you do for an encore? And, and I know coming into the sale, uh, one school of thought was, okay, last year you had a lot of these first crop sires that had first crop yearlings, Father Patrick, Captain Treacherous, Trickston, Sweet Lou down the line. Well, we all know how that goes, even though all of those horses have done very well at the races with those first crops. By the same token, it's hard to replicate that kind of excitement coming into the sale. Well, here we are, and not only has the excitement remained, but it's been even stronger. You know, guys, I think that one thing that has helped, at least on these first two nights, go back and look at some of the high sellers out of this sale the last couple of years. Uh, Two years ago, it was an $800,000 Colt who hit the board in the the Hamiltonian final this year. Last year, the topper was a $480,000 Muscle Hill filly who was runner-up in the Doherty Memorial the, over the summer, and and I think maybe at, at least for this top end of the market, people notice that. And, and again, it's not that they have to go out and win back what the, uh, what the owner gave as a yearling, but they need to go out and prove that if I'm chasing a dream, and if I'm going to spend four hundred, five hundred thousand 500000 or more, I want to know I've got something that at least is going to be in the ballgame, that's going to get me in the ballpark on Hambletonian Day at the Meadowlands and in those good juvenile finals. And I think we've seen that the last couple of years.
3: Risoning with Kurt Becker, Kurt Becker, one of the voices of the Lexington Selected Sale. Kurt, obviously, and I think you, you just brought up a really good point about it's not necessarily, okay, you pay $800,000, we are looking to get 800000 back on the racetrack. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it. If you're paying $800,000 for a horse, chances are he's extremely well-bred, and chances are that, you know, granted that he's uh, not a gelding, that he is going to, uh, you know, maybe be a big producer uh, in breeding. Do you think that these horses when they purchase these horses, do you think in the back of their minds, not only are they thinking about what happens on the racetrack, but what happens after the racetrack in terms of breeding?
6: I think that's definitely a factor. Uh, you know, before I came on, I I heard you guys talking about the strength of uh, uh, the trotting philly market and the pacing colt market. I, I think in the case of the the trotting fillies, that's a big big part of it. Uh, it's the same in the thoroughbred industry. If if you've got a filly in the ring. If she's got a lot of pedigree, if there's black type all up and down the page of the page, uh, you definitely have good reason to think, all right, look, uh, beyond the racetrack, this filly has a future as a broodmare. With, with the pacing colts, guys, you, you landed on something uh, that is absolutely spot-on correct. Uh, that pacing colt market has been strong over the first two nights. And I do know from talking to horsemen. I was out in the barn area on Monday to, to look at some yearlings and make some notes and talk to consigners. And uh, I had a chance. You know, you'll you'll see trainers that are uh, inspecting yearlings, and uh, I'll try to wait till they're done, till they take a break, and then sometimes I like to just kind of walk up and ask them what's on their mind, how they perceive things. One thing I heard from multiple trainers on Monday, they they tended all to say, you know. Uh, The yearlings we've looked at, this is one of the finest group of pacing colts that we've seen at this sale in some time, so uh, I think the pacing colts, a lot of it has been on, on the strength of their looks and their confirmation, and I think the trotting fillies, it does go back to their potential beyond the racetrack.
3: Kirk got about a minute left before we have to let you go, but real quick, I did want to get your opinion on the sales toppers. Treasure Trove, day one, sold for $360,000 to the Cancellaries. Chestnut Hill topped it in day two, $410,000 going to Nifty Norman and SRF Stables. Your thoughts personally as far as looks goes for the uh, sale toppers?
6: Yeah, you, you know, the uh, as you mentioned, the first night you've, you've got a, a pacing bred colt for three sixty, and then uh, a couple of trotters for uh, – for 400 and higher last night uh, You know I, I think a lot of it is on the top side of the pedigree uh, You know when you look at the sires involved Some beach somewhere Goodness knows uh, uh, the, the horse was just phenomenal And as, as they say uh, Regrettably there won't be many more of those coming Because of the uh, untimely passing I think that was huge in that particular case And you know Muscle Hill The sire of both of the uh, $400,000 horses last night he just – he stamps such a good-looking foal. And and then beyond that, they produce on the racetrack. I mean, that is a fantastic combination. You know, when, when you – if you go online, look at videos of these Muscle Hill yearlings. Uh, you know, I think you'll just find your jaw dropping. They look the part, and then they're able to back it up at the races.
3: No question. Kurt Becker, Kurt, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Still got a couple days left down in Lexington, and uh, we'll certainly be watching, my friend. Great job as always.
6: Guys, we appreciate your coverage of the sport, and it's fantastic that you cover racing and sales, and I know the horsemen appreciate it too.
3: All right. Thank you, Kurt. Take care. Hi, right, that was Kurt Becker, one of our favorite guys, uh, not only in harness racing, Mike, but of course in thoroughbred racing and NASCAR. Kurt does a little bit of everything, let me tell you, and he does them all very, very well.
4: Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Kurt is multifaceted in the things that he can do, and uh, his father, Carl, obviously helped get him into the sport of harness racing. And, you know, like he said, you know, covering the sport and covering the sales, I think covering the sales is just as important as covering the racing itself.
3: And it takes a lot of prep work as you've seen, Mike, when you, uh, you know, I know it's not quite the same thing, but uh, you had a chance to call the baby races at the Meadowlands and uh, that takes a lot of prep work.
4: (laughs) Yeah. You're you're not kidding. Um,
3: knowing what the
4: sires and the dams have done before what their children have done before. Um, we don't have the big pedigree book like the sales guys do. Uh, we kind of have to do it on our own. So, you know, it's really kind of interesting to see, Um, You know, even where some of these horses might be headed, Mike, um, you know, we see some Sweden, Swedish people purchasing horses, we see a horse that was purchased to go to Australia, Mm -hmm. Finland, um, you know, it's really kind of interesting.
3: And speaking from horses coming from all over the place, all over the country, all over the world. We're gonna be talking some international trot coming up next. Our good friend from the Standard Bread Owners Association of New York, Joe For those in the Ondex Circle is gonna be joining us plus Nancy Johansson. So much more left on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Back in a moment.
4: 82 Extension 5555. 5, 5, 5.
3: New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program Retrain, Rehab, Rehome.
7: New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and traditional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program. Celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses
3: placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Attention all breeding funds. Did you know Pacing for the Cure has a stud fee for scooter program? Your stud fee donations will help those living with MS with severe mobility limitations obtain a scooter and be able to continue to enjoy their love of harness racing. Contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org if you'd like to make a donation. Mike? In case you haven't noticed, Mr. Bill G. has begun pacing for the cure for multiple sclerosis.
4: Join in on the fun and weekly contest on Facebook to guess where he will place in each race. Like and share our page. Great prizes available for the lucky winners. Better yet, come out to the racetrack and watch him race live. Let's start a Mr. Bill G. fan club and start blogging on the journey page of the pacingforthecure.org website. Once again,
3: that's pacingforthecure.org. Thank you. All right, we're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America, Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. And uh, don't forget, just a reminder, the Pacing for the Cure will be here at my neck of the woods at Harris, Philadelphia tomorrow. Going to have a walk at about 3 o'clock post time. Tomorrow night is 6.30. Pacing for the Cure, guys, uh, Jeff and Janine Gessick will be here all night long. So make sure you come on out to Harris, Philadelphia tomorrow, six thirty. Two of my favorite people in the business, Jeff and Janine Gessick from Pacing for the Cure. Right now, we're joined by... Our man Joe Feraldo. Joe is uh, from the Standard Bread Owners Association of New York. We're going to be broadcasting live from Yonkers Raceway. It's the International Trot coming up on Saturday, October 13th. Joe, welcome to the program, my friend. How are you?
1: How you doing, Mike?
3: Doing fantastic. Listen, before we get into the International Trot, and I know you've been in many different facets of the industry, owning horses, driving horses, uh, you name it. So, I did want to throw this question that we threw at Kurt Becker out earlier in the program. Do you believe that the strength of these sales numbers that have gone up year after year? Do you think that's we can use that as any kind of economic indicator of the health of the sport of harness racing?
1: Oh yeah, I think so. For the, for the people who want to knock the sport and say it's uh, it's it's in decline, serious decline. Um, You know, these people have been around, I I think the fellow from Blue Chip Farm said this once, he said, we've been trying for 150 years to kill this game, and it seems to have some inherent value and quality that people like, and I think the sales numbers prove that, that, this is not the doom and gloom that a lot of people say is going on in our sport.
4: Now, Joe, let's dive into Saturday's International Trot, and or next Saturday, excuse me, Nick Saturday's International Trot. And You know, what goes into um, selecting these horses and getting them over here? I know it's a longer process uh, kind of as they come over, but talk us through that process and what some of these horses have to go through.
1: Well, um, they have to get vetted out there. We, we have basically have eyes in Europe um, and in Australia and New Zealand to look for the best quality trotters that we can uh, extend invitations over to. Now, some of them just recently, Dreamoku, who was going to represent the Netherlands, uh, is not going to make the trip because he has a throat infection. But otherwise, we have a gentleman by the name of Klaus Koch, uh, who's Swedish. Um, He works at one of the racetracks in Germany, I think in Hamburg. And he uh, is very familiar with these horses. Plus, we have... uh, a number of people in France who are who have been very very helpful and very nice in helping us select these horses, talk to the ownership interest, talk to the trainers, and try to get these horses over here. You know, it's it's, it's a it's a big undertaking. You, for example, you take a horse from um, from Sweden or Norway, like Lionel, they have to make a trip from their country by truck. It's not around the corner to get to Liege in Belgium and and to ship from there to come to the United States. So it's a, it's, it's a big thing that we're asking these people to do, and it's always amazing to see, for me, in the old days, how important the international trot was. And because of the hiatus, it, it diminished the hiatus of 20 years of not having a race. It kind of diminished and tarnished it uh, a little bit. But because of the, the participation I see this year, from some of these great horses like Up and Quick, a winner of the Prix d'Amérique uh, just three years ago. Uh, this is a serious group of horses. Ringo Star Treb won the Elite Lopet these, these are not just overnight horses that are coming over here. These are world-class competitors, and they'll have to face the likes of Marion Marauder, who, who demonstrated tremendous ability last year when Twister B blew out the field in a record... Uh, Two twenty-two and one for a mile and a quarter. I think that was a world record. So it it's beginning to get more acceptance, more recognition. Um, not quite the recognition that the Red Mile's new one million dollar race is getting, but it's a million dollars and it draws global attention to our sport and the American racing product.
3: And, you know, that's the thing, Joe, it's, you know, when you see a race like the International Trot, you're seeing something that you don't see every day because these drivers, you know, they don't have a chance every day to compete against some of the drivers that will be coming over here and obviously the horses you don't see. Oh, uh, Ariana G compete against, uh, you know, Ringo Star Treb and some of these great horses, but you talk about great stories. We're just talking about uh, strength of sales and, you know, sales toppers and spending three four $400,000 on unproven commodities. Here's a horse, and there's an article on him the, uh, the other day, Crisado Della Noche. Who uh, this is a horse that was purchased for twenty eight thousand dollars at the two thousand and thirteen Harrisburg Yearling Sale, and look what this horse has accomplished. And this horse will be representing Sweden come the international Trot. So you know there is some value out there every once in a while at these sales, Joe.
1: Oh, sure, there's value. You know the, the the price that a horse commands doesn't necessarily have anything to do with his ability. It's a function of, um, you know, if the horse is an athletic specimen, it's a a function of what his page shows, and eventually it becomes a function of the the quality and expertise of the trainer that the horse goes to. Now, this particular horse you're talking about, after his export, um, became a real serious horse over in Europe, and he's making the trip back, and he draws uh, Brian Sears, that's That's never a bad thing to have a Hall of Fame driver like Brian. Sears sit behind one for you.
4: What happens uh, when the horses arrive in the United States? Um, What kind of process they go through? How they get to Yonkers? And then, um, you know, obviously do they spend the week there? Or is it one of those things where they have to stable somewhere else?
1: Well, uh, um, the law is the federal government does not just allow horses to come into the United States. They have to have bloods drawn when they arrive in quarantine. And usually as a a fail safe, what you'll do is you'll draw blood uh, in the particular country that they're in, send them for testing within that country, and if you're really smart, you send those uh, blood samples to the United States before they ever get on a plane. But once they get on the plane, the government puts them in quarantine for 48 hours, Uh, No one can go near those horses. No one can get into the facility unless they have a, a, a function in that facility. So the grooms are not allowed to be with their horses. They're the property of the United States government. Bloods are drawn. The Bloods are sent to Ames, Iowa. If they all are clear, then the geldings are free to be released from quarantine and go wherever they want. And I believe three of the six European entrants are going to private farms. And the other three must be watched from the minute they leave that quarantine till they're loaded on the truck as raceway. And then they have to be isolated from the general horse population. They can't jog with the horses during the morning. They can only be together at certain specific identified periods of time. And no other horses can be on the racetrack or near those horses Until they leave, when they leave, they can go back in the same fashion. In other words, they're secured in a truck and out they go. Nobody can go near them. So it's a a complicated process. And to me, being involved in the game the way I am and on the levels that I am, it's always interesting for me to see how the grooms react when they get reunited with their horses after only being separated for a period of 48 hours. To me, that just shows how dedicated most, if not all, of the people in this game are. And it it always impresses me to see the grooms crying when the horse comes out of the quarantine. Um, It's kind of special. This is a big, special event.
4: Now, Joe, is there a reason or kind of a purpose as to why they can jog with each other or, you know, why they have to ship and be watched like that?
1: Well, uh, the, the problem is they're afraid, they're, they're afraid of, um, of their communicating disease that they might carry or some different um, 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 microbes that they may transmit from one horse to another. So the, the government does not want the horse population to be infected with a disease from Europe. When we brought over the 22 horses, we had intended to bring over 24 for the French-American trotting club. And uh, two of those horses failed the test. One was one failed the pre the shipping test, and another was so close that we could not bring him because he might contaminate the entire load, and then those horses would have to be in quarantine for a period of two weeks. So uh, it it it's a very very complex and very very formal process with horses that are mares or stallions. The
3: geldings, it's not the same. Wow, I mean, this this whole thing just sounds like a really complex process. I mean, this is really a, a you know, a yeoman's work to put something like this together. But let's talk about the day, Saturday, October thirteenth. I know you guys have a lot going on for the fans, and it's. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you could figure this puzzle out from a wagering point of view, you could really do your wallet a lot of favors.
1: Oh yeah, you can. Um because some of these horses uh, the the lines on these horses are being com- compiled for us by Brandon Valvo, who watches all of the replays of these horses and um and uh, has set that information out to the USA because it it's very difficult in Europe in in Europe they do not um they 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 do not show the quarter the half, the three-quarters, or whatever the mile rate distance is or excess distance that it is, they don't show you where the horses were in all these positions. They just show you the horse placed fourth, the horse placed second. The horse was disqualified. That's not sufficient for someone who, who wants to wager in the United States. So the SOA has asked Brandon Valvo and the USTA and Trackmaster to help us compile what the American better is used to, which is more detailed information in each of the lines of these horses, so they can wager intelligently. But you don't know which one of these horses is just going to blow a monster mile like we saw last year from Twister B. I mean, that was just an incredible performance. And uh, unfortunately, he just was not ready to come and compete at the same level as he did last year. And he's he's probably a month away. But... um, It's going to be a great race, and there's a lot of value in this race, as you said.
3: All right, Joe Feraldo, Joe Liss, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Uh, best of luck to you guys. We'll be there live coming up uh, on October 13th, broadcasting the action. But best of luck to you guys. I know this has uh, just been an unbelievable amount of work by you and your staff and Yonkers and their staff to put this together. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's uh, its going to be a treat for the fans because, like I say, you don't see these horses competing against each other every day. Uh, you know, what, maybe once, twice a year, if that. But when you're on Twitter – and if you're talking about international trial, please make sure you uh, use the hashtag #International18. Because certainly want to get a lot of talk about it on the Twitter and Facebook. Joey, appreciate you joining us, buddy. We'll see you on uh, next Saturday.
1: Okay, looking forward to it. Bye bye.
3: All right, that was Joe Feraldo and uh, Mike. That I mean, that's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> what a process together, and oh my goodness
4: you know, trying to remember who's can, who can jog with who and who's got to stay over on this side versus that side. It's just incredible.
3: All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Lexington Selected Stale with Nancy Johansson. She's coming up in just a few minutes. Plus, uh, we did have some technical issues with the show last week. So we've got uh, the big pacing for the cure night coming up here at Harris Philadelphia tomorrow. So we're going to replay the pacing for the cure segment from last week in, catch, in case people didn't catch it. So that's coming up, too. You're not going to want to miss that. Plus, a lot more left on this edition. A post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Back in a moment. Twelve championship races. The captain, not to be denied. One spectacular night. Ground 2018 Coming to the downs At Mohegan Sun Pocono you
8: the radio.
3: Come on out to Yonkers Raceway on Saturday, October 13th, as the best trotters in the world clash in a $1 billion international trot. The first 4,000 Empire Club members to visit a promotions booth will receive a free international trot hat. There will also be food and drink specials, which will include beers from around the world. There will be live entertainment, as the famous New Jersey Nerds Band will be performing on the track apron. Post time is 1 p.m. It's the 40th edition of the International Trot, Saturday, October 13th at Yonkers Raceway. Hashtag International 18. Winback Farm's yearlings are born to compete and raised to win. Be sure to check out our lineup to take advantage of opportunities in slot and rich states. Our yearlings are eligible in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Ontario, and Pennsylvania. Our 2018 sale schedule kicks off in Goshen on September 9th, followed by Lexington October 2nd through the 6th, London October 13th to the 14th, Harrisburg November 5th to the 7th, and the Harrisburg Mix Sale on November 8th. For more information, visit winbackfarm.com. That's winbackfarm.com. Farm.com.
4: We're back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich. and we're joined now by trainer Nancy Johansson, who I believe I might have saw in the barn area at the red mill earlier nancy how are you this morning
2: i'm doing well how about yourself
4: not doing too bad well nancy uh you had a big day but before we dive into a couple of the purchases um tell us a little bit about kind of what goes into uh you know your mindset as you're looking at these yearlings and trying to decide okay this is the one i want for this price
2: um, well, you know, we do a lot of legwork when we look at yearlings. We first start off by, um, I mean, looking at the page. Does the horse have enough pedigree to carry itself at the level that we want, you know, to compete at in the grand circuit and you know, higher, you know, state state races and so forth? So uh, obviously, pedigree plays a very big part um, into the first part of the screening process, and then you know, you have to go out and look at the individual. And, I mean, there's no horse that's perfect out there. Every horse has faults. So then you have to kind of decipher, okay, can the horse live with this fault? Is this going to be an issue, you know, for the horse training down or throughout its racing career? And then once you've kind of looked through, you know, looked at the individual, looked at the pedigree, you'll watch the video. And we actually do go out to a lot of the farms and have the horses turned out in the paddocks at the farms and, you know, see them in their own natural environment. Um, I mean, I know you guys know as communication guys, videos can also be edited, edited, so it's nice to uh, see them for real in the paddock and, you know, just see how they act and so forth. And then, um, once all that's done and you've got your first preliminarily, you know, cut down shortlist, then you go back and look at them again and then you've got to put a price tag on them, which, you know, has been a little hard at this sale because, you know, the sale's so up that it's hard to, um, really put a price on um, on some of them. But, you know, ballpark where you think that, you know, you can get out where it's worth the risk on you know, taking the shot on a horse.
3: You know, that's the thing that I was asking Mike Carter. This was Mike's first sale. He's coming for the Fan Zone, and of course, for a post time with Mike. And Mike, but uh, I was asking him about the emotion in the room. Now, when you're when you're bidding on a horse, a horse that you know you absolutely want, does emotion get into it when maybe somebody else is bidding and it starts going a little bit higher than what you expect to spend? Uh,
2: you know, like I always kind of. Set a limit, and then we usually don't try to go too far off the limit, um, because then then you're then you're already digging yourself a hole that you didn't want to be in. So we do really try to stay with within our price range. I mean, if it, if you feel like when you're bidding that you know one more bid's going to get the horse, then of course get, you'll go another bid, but you, you can't really allow emotion to get too involved in your bidding, or you're going to get yourself in trouble. Um, you have to. It's, it's quite an art to actually bid on a horse. It's easy, you know, to get kind of lost in the bidding and get run up quickly. You have to kind of take your time and know when to when to even jump in, especially bidding on expensive horses. You know, you don't want to jump in too early, but you don't want to jump in too late. It's, it's a little bit of an art form actually to, to bid well on horses.
4: Now Nancy, let's kind of talk about a couple of the horses that were purchased. Let's start with hip number 60, Tall Dark Stranger. Um, this colt was uh, purchased for $330,000, and uh, the first dam, Precocious Beauty, means no introduction was a Dan Patch and O'Brien Award winner at two, um, and of course, Sports Rider is in the um, is in this line as well as the second dam. It's incredible to see the breeding line that comes with Tall, Dark Stranger.
2: Yeah, the thing, what, what I really like about Tall, Dark Stranger, like you said, his pedigree, um, it's a very modern family. I'm, if you go back and look at a lot of horses, you know, they ha- they might have a lot going on in their second and third dams where older pedigree and you know i'm not that old and sometimes i look at the page i'm like oh geez i was like six years old on that horse race so of course there were good horses but times have changed a little bit too you know in the past horses needed to be strong more strong than what they need now they need to be fast they need to be fast and strong now so um i what i like about tall dark stranger is that he does have that modern you know like there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the past you know, 10 years in this horse, you know, precocious beauty was great, great Philly uh, beauty on the beach is doing really well. You know, like it, there's a lot going on in that family. So um, I think, you know, pedigree wise, he fit the bill. And then when you look at him as an individual, he's just absolutely gorgeous.
4: Now, Nancy, something that kind of surprised me last night on the second night of the sale was how, some of the later horses, uh, and I'm talking hips 250 to 276, how high in price they went. And You purchased one late um, with RCA, a half-sister to world champion Be a Magician. Um, amazing, amazing uh, pedigree here. Obviously, Be a Magician it needs no introduction. But the Muscle Hill Horses, um, excuse me, the Muscle Hill foals. Have absolutely been performing well at this sale and uh, on the racetrack as well.
2: Yeah, you know it's very, um, you know, it's like buying a designer brand when you go out and buy a Muscle Hill or even a Captain Treacherous or Father Patrick. You know, they're sought-after horses that you know people recognize. You know, they were great, great race horses in themselves, and obviously, I mean, they've they've proven that in the stallion shed that they can compete there as well. So. Obviously, if you're buying a Muscle Hill or, a, you know, even a Captain Treacherous or something like that, you know you're buying something that has a little bit more of a sh- more of a shop that they have that, you know, that extra that the horses need at a high level. So, you know, horses are going to, with those kind of fashionable pedigrees, it, I don't really think it matters what day they're going to sell on. Um, if they're the individual that, that fit, they confirmation, confirmationally fit their pedigree, then they're going to bring a big price, especially with the Europeans on the Muscle Hill part. You know, Muscle Hill does well in Europe as well. So he's got the European market, too.
3: Visiting with Nancy Johansson. Now, Nancy, of course, your dad, Jimmy Tactor is kind of transitioning into retirement a little bit, certainly uh, going to downscale. Um, is he going to be kind of right there with you, kind of giving you advice in, in sales going forward?
2: Oh, well, you know, I actually did go out and look at horses with my dad. I mean, they're (laughs) proven there's nobody that's, you know, better at what, at bringing young horses up and, you know, making them into champions than he has, you know, a lot of people get caught up talking about all the expensive horses that he's purchased through the years, but, you know, they forget the wild honeys that cost 35,000 or the, you know, global glide that was 6,000 and those horses that, you know, he was, he bought as a yearling and trained down and, you know, they became really good horses, you know, in their time. So um, he is invaluable, you know, to have his advice, you know, it's like, it's like a MasterCard commercial. It's priceless. So, you know, I'll take whatever advice he wants to give me and, you know, run with it. Um, He is though retiring, which is, you know, I have a little bit of mixed emotions about, I think it's kind of sad, you know, to see him go forward because obviously I've, been around my dad my entire life and it's always been you know part of our lives that you know he's very involved in racing and so forth so it's going to be a little bit different next year but i think you know me having my own stable you know it will help him he'll come down and come down and visit his daughter i'm sure in the barn more more often than than retirement really calls for
3: well, yeah, I mean listen, once you get harness racing in your blood we all know that it doesn't go away. So, you know, we know once you once you get pulled in you can't get you can't just get away from exactly. it, you know. It's like
2: it. Exactly. <laughs> For sure.
3: <laughs> All right, Nancy, real quick before we let you go, I'm going to ask you the same question that we had Kurt Becker on the show earlier. We had Joe, we had Joe Feraldo. Now we actually going to get a horsewoman's point of view on this whole thing. We talked about uh, you know, in general how healthy the sport of harness racing is and whether we can use these strong sale numbers that seemingly continue to get stronger every year. Um can we use this, in your opinion, as some kind of economic indicator of the health of our sport?
2: Well, you know, I think the economy in the country overall is very good right now. I think that helps. Um, but, you know, the sport of harness racing is a great sport. And I think that if as long as we get it out to the right, you know, channel it out to the right people, I think more people are going to fall in love with it. I think there should be maybe a little bit more crossover, with um thoroughbreds you know maybe some more thoroughbred people might think harness racing is interesting if if they're exposed to it a little bit more you know it's thoroughbreds are absolutely amazing animals but you know you're owning a thoroughbred and they tell you the horse is going to race in four weeks on the turf and it pours rain and then they call you and tell you your horse is scratched it's going to race in another four weeks you know that that might get people down a little bit where our horses are more durable. And, you know, you can have a horse like kissing in the sand that raced 12 times this year, you know, thoroughbreds don't race 12 times in their entire lives. So I think if we get out to the right people, um, I think people would really enjoy the sport. I think we just need to do a better job at marketing and, you know, we've got to clean up the sport and make sure that, you know, everybody's on the same page. And I think moving forward, we'll, we'll, we'll thrive.
3: All right, more uh more sales action coming up over the next couple of days. So uh obviously you're probably not done, right?
2: No, we've got a few more numbers, but we you know, at the same time we don't wanna to become too big either. So we're gonna scale down. You know, we've really, really been diligent about buying individuals that we like, not just buying for the masses. So we'll we've got a few more numbers through um through the next couple of days and then we'll head to Harrisburg and see what we can pick up there.
3: All right. Good stuff. Nancy, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Uh, Best of luck uh, the remaining couple days of the sales and uh, moving forward.
8: All right. Thank you. Have a good one.
3: All right. That was Nancy Johansson. And uh, our replays just started, Mike. I don't know if you could (laughs) hear that in the background. But, uh, of course, I'm here at Harris, Philadelphia in the booth, and uh, I must have the volume set at about 20. So let me just turn this thing down. Hold on. There we go. Nobody wants to hear the dulcet tones of that Harris Philadelphia announcer in the background, no. do they? No. He's terrible. No. I don't know who I don't know who hired him, but he's terrible. I don't either. <laughs> good question. Real quick, Mike, uh, uh, I do want to mention, give some of these uh, uh, sales stats, and uh, this provided by our, our good friend Ken <laughs> Weingartner. who's just doing a, an amazing job covering this thing, and uh, so I'll just read directly from him uh, the bottom paragraph of his article. Dealing with the second uh, day of the sale. Among sires with multiple yearlings sold during the two sessions, Trotter Muscle Hill, and this is obviously no surprise, led with an average of 132000 for 42 horses. Pacer Betters Delight was second with an average of 116000 for nine horses, followed by Pacers something Somewhere, uh, with $111,500 an on average for 24 and Trotter Father Patrick with 110,000 for Trotter Chapter 7 averaged 104,000 plus for 16. And Pacer Captain Treacherous averaged 102,690 for 42. Now the sale continues tonight, Mike Carter. You will be there?
4: Um, I'm not sure yet. We're headed to the races this afternoon, and I think that will depend on whether or not we head to the sale again tonight. But uh, one quick thing. Um, I noticed uh, last night was the Sebastian Ks are not selling hardly at all. Now, why do you think that is? I, I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure. I saw one sell for 7000 and I saw one sell for 35000 So So, uh,
3: you know, just something interesting. That's all. All right. Well, when we come back, uh, we're going to take a look at, uh, well, in case we had some technical difficulties last week with the show. So in case you didn't catch it, uh, our pacing for the case segment, we're going to replay that here in just a few minutes. That and more still left to come on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by America. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain. Rehab. Rehome. New
7: Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed.
3: Learn more at newvocations.org. Twelve championship races. The captain!
5: Not
3: to be denied! One spectacular night. And Father Patrick and a Coastalman champion here. Breeders' Crown 2018 coming to the downs at Mohegan Sun Pocono. Pitching up the rail. Modern and
8: there. again. Dead game. Clear.
3: We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America, Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. It is right now time for our Pacing for the Cure segment, one of our most popular and favorite segments that you can hear on a monthly basis here on Post Time with Mike and Mike. And we are so privileged to be joined by Jeff Gessick from Pacing for the Cure, as well as Carolyn Vasquez from Diamond Creek Farm. She's also with Pacing for the Cure. Guys, welcome to the program. Hello.
8: Thanks for having us.
3: Doing fantastic, and I am so excited. Jeff, I'll throw it to you first. You guys are coming to my neck of the woods very quickly. Harris, Philadelphia, the first one, uh, we had it actually set for September, but we had to uh, delay it because the weather and Mother Nature didn't cooperate. But it's round two, and we're hoping for better weather this time. What's coming up at Harris, Philadelphia?
5: Yeah. So, Mike, we have uh, on Friday, October 5th, we have registration at 2 o'clock, and the MS Walk will begin at 3. And uh, the, first, the lucky group that was here last month will get a uh, Ponchos, just in case it rains, the first team. So we're going to have a great time. And uh, if anybody's interested in a ride in the starting car or if you want to go up and meet Mike in the announcing booth, we're going to try and get some people involved in that too.
3: Absolutely, that's always a fun time. Uh, and, you know, listen, I'm the announcer here at Harris Philadelphia, and, you know, Jeff, you guys are always welcome to come on up here and, of course, in the starting car as well with our man, Norton Shoemaker. It's going to be a fun, fun time. Carolyn, anything to add to that?
8: Yeah, it's going to be fun. I wish I could be there. Unfortunately, I'll be in Lexington, um, so I'm going to miss it. But um, they're always a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to meet everyone that comes out. Um, so I know everyone's looking forward to it.
3: All right, Jeff, let's talk a little bit about the big dinner coming up in Harrisburg, and this is something that you guys have been promoting for quite some time now. We've had information on our website post-time with Mike and Mike. You could check it out there, along with the Pacing for the Cure uh, website. Tell us a little bit about this dinner coming up at the Harrisburg sale.
5: Okay, well, it's at the venue at the Farm Complex. It's Monday, November 5th. It should be more convenient for the horsemen. Uh, there will be cocktail hour beginning around right after that sale on Monday around 5 30 and there'll be dinner DJ and raffles beginning at seven and then we have some pretty neat raffle items like for example we have a Pittsburgh Pirates spring training game and batting practice experience for four people and we have autographed Brian Sears colors for our colors for the cure initiative and also an autograph Brian Sears 10,000 career win photos so that's that's really cool item, too. He just got his 10,000 wins this year, recently. And we're still accepting raffle donations and uh, sponsorships, but they're going really well right now. And uh, we're looking to have a good time, and we always look forward to that event.
3: Carolyn, I know the uh, the Harrisburg sale, is a lot of sales are certainly a, a big check mark for Diamond Creek Farm, but not only Diamond Creek Farm and for pacing for the cure. So you're, you're kind of going to be rolling double duty that particular day, won't you?
8: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty busy, but I think it's great that we're having it at the farm show complex this year. Um, the last couple of years, we've had it at a hotel, and this way is very convenient because after you finish selling your horses or buying horses, you can just walk right upstairs and have a cocktail. I mean, it couldn't be more convenient for anyone. So we're looking forward to having it there and um, seeing, seeing everyone.
3: Yeah, it's certainly time to start thinking about that, and November comes very, very quickly. Jeff, uh, real quick, or or Carolyn, whoever wants to answer this, um, once again, if you're interested in going, uh, where's the best place to go to find out? Because obviously you want to get your tickets pretty quick.
5: Well, you can go to uh, the website, stationforthecure.org, and it should be right under the date, November 5th, under events, or the donate page also has it as well.
3: All right, and of course, you can find that out, too, at Post Time with Mike and Mike.com, right on the front page. Uh, let's talk, Jeff, a little bit about what's coming up in 2019, and uh, I don't know what happened in 2018. I mean, it just went by in a blink of an eye. <laughs> Obviously, it was a very good year for pacing for the cure, and 2019 certainly figures to be bigger and better. Tell us a little bit about it, Jeff. What's coming up?
5: We're planning on having our half a dozen walks and our dinner party and, and also a couple of maybe a Phillies game and Pirates again. But we'd like to, this year, try and get some more organizations and businesses and anybody who wants to get involved in each of these events, make them bigger and better and generate as much more revenue for those living with MS throughout the harness racing community. So we're going to really try and work hard throughout the winter to try and hook up with other organizations as we know our schedule, where we're going. I think that'll really help. Uh, We've had a great 2018. We're actually given a scooter away in the process right now for somebody who was in the harness racing business for a long time and has retired and uh, is in need of a scooter so we're looking forward to helping them out right now and uh, we want to do that more and more and feel free to get in contact with us and me particularly at jeff at pacingforthecure.org but uh, we're always looking for opportunities in 2019 to partner up with people
3: carolyn anything to add
8: yeah, I just want to mention that um, one of the cool things about Pacing for the Cure, I think, as an organization is that we are able to um, fund, like, medical equipment for people that need it, like the scooters we've been able to give away. Um, besides just the money, last year they gave $20,000 um, for MS research. So not just the money that they're giving to research, but we're able to actually skip a lot of the, you know, the red tape that's involved and actually donate this equipment to people that need it, which is something that you don't a lot of times get with, like, big charities. And I think that's a pretty, really cool thing. So um, anytime you support us at any of the events or come out for any of the events, like, your money is directly going to the people that need it and need help. We're all volunteers, um, and everything is going right to the people that need it. So, So thank you for helping us
3: and- K- Carolyn, real quick before we let you go we we've had you on the show yes. a couple of months back, and you were you were wearing the Diamond yes. Creek Cat farm when we had you on the show last uh yes. but uh now uh you know you're on the show and you're you're talking uh you're representing pacing for the cure. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved with pacing for the cure.
8: Um, I got involved with Patient and secure. I actually, um, when I sort of moved into my new position with the social media and marketing, I had been looking around for different ways that we could get involved with different organizations because I think it's good for us as a big farm to be able to give back to other people. Um, and I had seen the interview that Jeff did at the Meadowlands, I believe, of Dave. Um, I think it was with Dave. And so it was right before our first or second open house. So I invited them to come to our open house. Um, and since then, we've been friends. And so um, we've been involved with them a lot, and they are some great people, and I'm excited to be part of the group. So that's how we got part of parted with them.
5: And I'd like to add that uh... – We're really good friends with all the people at Diamond Creek, Caroline, everybody, and they've been a great premier sponsor and helped us on many occasions, and we can't do this without sponsors like Diamond Creek and uh, individuals and people that come to our event. So we really do appreciate it, and me and Janine and my mom, of course, appreciate everybody's contribution.
3: Fantastic. And, uh, Jeff, one final time, for anybody that wants to donate to Pacing for the Cure, what's the best way they can do so?
5: Well, we have a P.O. Box 1, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, 08054, or, of course, the website, org forward slash donate. So both those, either way, it gets done, and we'd really appreciate everybody's contributions.
3: All right, Jeff Gessick and Carolyn Vasquez. Guys, we appreciate it. Thank you so much.
5: Thank hey, you. Thanks a lot, Mike, for having us.
3: Winback Farms' yearlings are born to compete and raised to win. Be sure to check out our lineup to take advantage of opportunities in slot and rich states. Our yearlings are eligible in Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Ontario, and Pennsylvania. Our 2018 sale schedule kicks off in Goshen on September 9th, followed by Lexington October 2nd through the 6th, London October 13th to the 14th, Harrisburg November 5th to the 7th, and the Harrisburg Mix Sale on November 8th. For more information, visit winbackfarm.com. That's Winback. Farm.com. Well, we certainly appreciate everybody that has joined us on this edition of Boast Time with Mike and Mike. Thanks to our guests, Kurt Becker, Nancy Johansson, uh, Joe Feraldo, and of course. Uh, Jeff Gessick and uh, Carolyn Vasquez from Pacing for the Cure. Don't forget, come on out to Harris, Philadelphia tomorrow night, Pacing for the Cure. The walk starts at 3 p.m. Registration, open at 2 right here at Harris, Philadelphia. And, of course, a special post time, 6.30, coming up tomorrow night at Harris, Philly. Don't forget, we'll be broadcasting live from the International Trot. That is coming up on Saturday, October 13th. Post time is 1 p.m. We'll have a... Uh, an exact time that we're gonna be going on the air uh, coming up in just a few days. make sure you stay locked into our website post time with Mike and Mike dot com along with our Twitter and Facebook pages for more information on the app of Mike Carter this is Mike Frosage. We'll see you next Thursday with a first post of on 1030 a.m. Good night everybody you go home, but you can't stay
4: here. I know
8: wants to take me home I know.